Yeah, I was a heavy drinker, but I didn't recognize what the people closest to me recognized. I ended up laying flatlined on a hospital operating table. Somehow the surgeons brought me back to life. When your life depends on it, there's only one place you can turn. Karen. A recent independent study showed that 94% of Karen patients were still in recovery 90 days post-treatment. Visit CARON.org slash real. Karen. Real results. Real care. Real about recovery. This episode is brought to you by Verizon. Get a Verizon Business Unlimited plan from the network businesses rely on. Hey, Monica, with 5G Ultra Wideband in many more cities, you get up to 10 times the speed at no extra cost. Hello, downloads in no time. Plus, unlimited premium data and hotspot data to keep the signal flowing and your teams going. Come in or book an appointment with a Verizon business expert to find the right plan for your team. 5G Ultra Wideband available in over 1,700 cities with Business Unlimited Pro 2.0 smartphone plan. Speed comparison is to median Verizon 4G LTE speeds. Download speeds may vary depending upon network and coverage conditions and content optimization for 5G Ultra Wideband. Looks like he is making a solid point. And honestly, the point that he was making, I think, is a good one. Right, we're all very different. We event organizers, and we each bring something different to the table. Sure. And I think one thing that you know we like to throw out there is to say that we love working with other organizers. We we think we should all play in the same sandbox together, right? Absolutely. You know, one thing I don't know if it's dreams or nightmares, but I do think about that terrace at the Fountain Blue a lot. <laughs> oh man, yeah. That, that, I mean, it was just ridiculous, the view that we had from the Fountain Blue there. That was a lot of fun. Well, listen, while we're waiting to get Matthew back, um, let's talk a little bit about Vanguard. They're a very cool company. They're, they're mainly focused on extraction and advisory services. Uh, and they work with, you know, some of the coolest companies around, obviously, Tilt, uh, Alera Healthcare, which is now a part of uh, Terrasend, uh, Supreme, Blisco, some of those guys. And They've made a name for themselves. Um, the amount of equipment work that they do uh, paired with the extraction services that they are offering, it's a really solid business. Yeah, and they adjusted very quickly when all this came. Uh, I want to get Matt's thoughts on, um, you know, really their plans and how they went about it. But uh, I think they came out with an interesting terpene-based hand sanitizer, you know, that, that bioceutical uh, arm that they have, uh, you know, was really, they, they used it in turn, they used it for good, uh, throughout all this. And they opened it up to the rest of the cannabis industry, which, or, or have plants do. Again, I want Matt's thoughts on that more so than mine, because it's not my plan, but, um, it was very, very interesting. I thought, um, I think so too. I mean, when you look at how some of these distilleries and extractors and 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 players in in this industry and others have pivoted during this crisis it definitely shows you the amount of ingenuity um and and certainly um wherewithal that these companies have to to dive in and see how they can help right right you know on, on an unrelated thought i am very disappointed in the mug choice today i got patrick a birthday present and uh patrick a secret for everybody out there loves dill pickles. That's very true. I do love them. So I got I a mug where the handle was a pickle, and what did it say on it, Pat? It says, "I am a big dill." Now, if I'm not a good brother, I don't know. I don't know what it is. Um, but in any case, back to the point here. Uh, Vanguard did present in Miami. Um, you know, they. I think they're an interesting company that has connections all over the industry um they seem to have something to say to literally everyone uh that they talk to whether it was an investor um other consultants and advisors um you know oil uh, extraction companies you know other extractors um you know i think vanguard has placed themselves uh in an area to to succeed you know in multiple arms of this industry well what's What's interesting to me is that you see a lot of products out there, right? You know, our, our friends at, at Valens and Metafarm and uh, Nextleaf and, and Vanguard and, uh, and Halo. I mean, everybody has really, really interesting products, um, whether it be edibles or oil cartridges or, or uh, really anything <laughs> in terms of where we are these days, tinctures. I, I think it's a really cool market and certainly one in which a lot of these guys are differentiating themselves fairly well. You know, I don't look at any of these businesses and say, you know, 
they shouldn't even try because there's one clear winner who's who's taking all of the uh, the business, right? It definitely seems as as though things are moving in the right direction. And one thing that can't be overstated, I think, about Vanguard is their effect uh, on these younger companies, especially at becoming compliant uh, and you know meeting regulatory standards. Um, you know, they do that in numerous ways. You know, probably more than I'm even aware of. Um, I'm sure. You know, through their services. Um, you know, I, I know something they did that Matt liked to do a lot that, uh, you know, I've read recently uh, was he wanted, he went to, you know, cultivations. He wanted to test quality, you know, you know, he wanted to, um, he wanted them to come to his facilities, mm. um, you know, and I, I think that's super interesting. I'd love to hear from him and I think he may be back, but I'd love to hear from him, you know, in terms of how he's adjusted, you know, how he's still finding that quality client and uh, partner. Um, I would imagine it's definitely been an interesting period during COVID where you, you can't host people at your facility, nor can you really tour theirs. Right. Um, so again, I would be interested to hear his take on that. So he, Matt is back with us. We are moving him back over. So Aaron, whenever you get a chance, please do so. But, um, but yeah, I mean, the, the, the industry is, is definitely in an interesting spot, right? And, and now here he is. All right, guys. Oh, we have you back. I was uh, hoping you would come back up in that same pose. <laughs> yeah, let's try, let's try it again. Awesome. Okay. So, yeah, all kidding aside, you know, but, but just back to my earlier kind of soundbite, what you guys do and continue to do is, is just really, really high-quality content, but also is very impressed with the men and women that are actually in the halls. It's the decision-makers, and, and that's tough with so many different choices, especially now in a digital environment on where to spend your time. Uh, for you sure. Get good content opportunities. Appreciate well, it. Yeah, thank you, man. Thanks for that. That's definitely something that we've worked hard at and and it helps to have guys like you there, you know? Um, absolutely, you know, connecting the decision makers and the leaders in the industry is, is what we aim to do. So in the interest of time, Matt, I wanna give you the floor for a, a couple minutes. I, I'd love for the audience to just hear a little bit more about Vanguard um, maybe just a quick synopsis of, of the company and sort of where you guys are in this yeah. middle, beginning, end, COVID, wherever the hell we are. I can't keep track. Yeah, so uh, science and healthcare, uh, and we approach the industry from a medical device perspective. If you guys can't, if the, if, the, if the quality drops, let me know and I can pull the video and just give you audio. Just give me a, give me a notice and I'll do that, okay? Yeah, um, we're, I think we're, we're better now. It was a good. little iffy for a second, okay, but I think you're good. great. Uh, so we have a design and manufacturing arm in, in which we have first of a kind technology that we design, uh, patent and manufacture. Uh, and we partner with global manufacturing experts and engineering teams to bring those technologies on screen. So uh, examples of that are, are CO2 extraction technologies, ethanol solvent recovery methods, and then also soft services like quality management systems and things that people don't necessarily understand around ERP or overall compliance and manufacturing protocols. So we've been working in the industry since 2015 uh, for the first three years of our business, we worked exclusively for several multi-state operators and private equity interests, uh, which really gave us an opportunity uh, to learn as we went through the process. So kind of like uh, when we were able to connect for dinner, I shared the hardest thing about this industry for new entrants, and we really welcome as many supplier partners into this space as possible, is you actually have to get on site and begin to work with the plant material right? Processing hops isn't the same as processing cannabis, and cannabis isn't the same as hemp. So as we developed this body of knowledge, we really drove to a thesis twofold. One, we looked at it like the 90s in the computer space, uh, in which companies were leaving this analog world of filing cabinets and assistants running all over their offices to online repositories, databases, spreadsheets, and email clients. At that time, the owner operator didn't really care whether they were buying Dell or Apple. They just wanted an email client that worked. And the same thing is here. Uh, we, would, we would come out early in 2018 and say, clients are supplier agnostic. They want equipment that works. They want consistency. They want reliability. They want customer service. And they want quality. 
right? And those five things aren't easy to necessarily to deliver in a regulated environment. So Vanguard, one of the values we return to the industry is we have a technology review board. And that board takes an agnostic posture looking at systems, equipment, and solutions in the industry. And based on our clients' needs, what we call success metrics, we recommend different systems and solutions. So that's not only there's a different uh, piece of equipment or a systems array for a smaller output, say I want to process a couple of hundred pounds a week. Uh, there's obviously different equipment for that than industrial scale. We offer solutions up to 10,000 pounds a day. And, and those aren't linear scales. But as we start talking around compliance and regulation, and I know some of our earlier conversations are really trending towards what does GMP mean? Where is the FDA going? And then of course, the international conversation. There's this big headline out here saying, not all oils and extracts are created equal. And what that means in the market today but one would argue that those buyers that want to buy cannabinoids can't find compliant supply chains to be able to procure from. Mm. So a lot of our heaviest lift currently is working with our processing client partners and helping them stabilize their supply chain through products, services, and consultative solutions that we deliver. That's really cool and super important, man. I mean, how are all of these, these branded product suppliers and, and manufacturers, how are they going to do what they do without somebody like you helping them craft that supply chain and, and making sure that they, they stay compliant in the process, right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's the, the reality of it. If you look at, let's just say a Coca-Cola or, or a Budweiser, just for, for beverage sake, uh, what they really want to do is they want to buy an ingredient and they want to put that ingredient on their nutritional panel and they want to spend branding and marketing dollars to tell the world, that they're going to get a consistent brandable experience, right? And that and that's where you build brand value. Well, if you look at our past life in, in industry and you start talking around where does quality come in? When did this word quality control really enter our world? You start seeing trends and, and you start looking at the Toyota way, right? How can Toyota deliver a Prius to the United States that's made in Japan for less than four can deliver a a car here that's made in the U.S. Uh, Starbucks is another great example. How, how do I order an iced latte here in Portland, Oregon, and I go to London and I order the same iced latte and it tastes exactly the same, right? That's supply chain integration and that standard operating procedures. So that barista knows to follow those same work instructions to get to that same result. And that's continuing to reinforce that brand. So as companies are coming out and really wanting to make their mark or take market share, you know, it's just as important for the art, the color, and the logo type you choose as the reinforcement of the actual supply chain that'll deliver your brand promise. And that's really where our business is matured, is working for those entities that have the horsepower or resourcing to be able to present to that more standardized marketplace. I, I completely understand and I hear you. So I think you know, with the little time we have left, Matt, maybe talk about where we are right now during this pandemic. And when it comes to, you know, building that brand, when it comes to, you know, using all that horsepower and bringing it to bear and, and, and trying to, to create those standard operating procedures, what are the challenges right now that a lot of your, your partners and your clients are facing? How are you helping them uh, through this process right now? Um, in a very sort of strange climate. Yeah, so I think I think you're right to frame it in the context of this pandemic and that we're dealing with is, can you all hear me all right? Yeah, now we can. You, know, you were a little pixelated there. Right. Sure, there, there's heavy capital constraint in the industry, right? So one of the things that we're really working on is helping our what we call commercial or craft commercial clients find strategic partners. And, and the, the processing activity is more than just one step. Think of it like oil and gas. You don't just put a, a Beverly Hillbillies hole in the ground and out comes the, the oil. It's, it's not how it's done. And that certainly doesn't go directly in your gas tank, right? So there's seven to nine disparate steps. And each step has a mid six figure number associated with it. 
And as we see this industry mature, you're going to find specialization. So just let's talk around, I'm, I'm a specialist at growing, or I'm a specialist at drying, or extraction, or various steps of post-processing, or what's called purification. During this time, and kind of in the spirit of this industry, right, collaboration is big. So we talk around how do you deliver compliant cannabinoids? How do you, how do you execute that? And, and some of the early movers were, were vertical. Boy, oh boy, we've raised $50 million and we're doing it all. Well, you might have the horsepower to do it all, but do you have the expertise, right? Do you have the wherewithal to deliver consistently? And I think what we're seeing is during these trying times where even in an early industry, through a bubble economics in this industry where you value priced a bunch of pre-revenue companies, and then what you've seen are those jockeys or those operators who actually are using and applying good business practices show up. And they say, nor rain, nor sleet, nor snow, my business is going to continue to churn because my business model makes sense. For us, as we meet clients, one of the most exciting things that we've seen is successful client collaborations, bringing clients together, saying, you want to focus on remediation? Well, great. Vanguard's just release a new high throughput remediation solution. Why don't you guys work with us here and let us connect you to a really strong winterization partner in that country. Because you guys champion the most and it's a really special time and the chance to have the conversation. So I really thank you guys for inviting me on to this cannabis hour. Hey, hey listen, it's it's our pleasure, and and thanks for the the insight, man. I think it's really interesting that what our our audience can take away is, you know, you guys are helping in in a huge capital crunch that I'm sure we're all aware of. You're helping people find partnerships, right? There are there are other ways to build, other ways to scale, and you guys are are helping that process along. Yeah, absolutely. And in closing, I guess what I would say is, you know, our technology review board does do side by side comparisons to allow those client partners that are close to what we call pulling the trigger to really do an apples to apples comparison. And most often during that process, what we do is we tap in financing partners, either internally or third party financing partners, and we can provide de-risk solutions for capital availability should they find agreement and alignment with the technology that we're recommending. Very cool. Great. Yeah. Matt, thanks so much for being here, man. Your insights are awesome. And we look forward to chatting with you again very soon. Lane Brothers, keep kicking butt and taking names, guys. Thanks for having me. Will do, brother. Take Bye. care. All right. Awesome. Man, he is young, but he, his, his knowledge is vast. Yeah, no, I, I wish we could have, we had more time. We would have gotten into to his background. That guy's literally done everything yeah. um, and at a young age. So he, he's clearly killing it, too. I think um, we can have him on again later on to just talk about his trajectory and where he's been. For sure. Would be very <laughs> but, cool. Um, anyway. Matt, again, thank you very much. Uh, next up for us is Tom Zuber. Um, you've probably heard of him. Uh, runs a very well-known law firm, Zuber Lawler. Um, Zuber Lawler partners with several Fortune 500 companies, funds, government entities, and uh, more to the point, um, many of the mainstream cannabis companies uh, for 10, 11, 12 plus years. Um, you know, I think they're doing some pretty awesome things. I'm excited to have Tom on. Uh, his insights and knowledge and just experience uh, with companies in the space. Are you laughing at me? I, I am. I, well, I'm, I'm laughing, I guess, out of pride because you sound very astute and smart. And, and Tom, I'm glad you're joining us because uh, now we really have a smart person on the show that can, okay. can talk uh, about things um, cannabis-related. a different city. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, I, I work with my brother too, so it's uh, it gets it gets. I'm sorry, sad, man. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, I'm just sorry. Not to take away from the intro, because Tom, you, you it's have a great intro. Industry. You have an impressive resume, man, and we want to hear about you. We want to hear about your experience uh, all the way back in 2007 when you got into cannabis. 2007, you're an OG then. You've been in, you've been here for a while. We have, we have. Uh, so uh, it, it's really happened by accident. I have to say, I wish I could say back in 2007 uh, that, that I knew I'd be so passionate about 
about cannabis and that it'd be taking over the world. And, and I, I did it. Uh, we were running a corporate law firm. We had just founded it actually under God. And uh, we were doing pretty well. Um, but this was early days. It might have been three years in, frankly. And, and I founded it with, with my brother, uh, Jeff. And uh, we, uh, we had started growing, started representing larger corporations, and, and that's great. Uh, my buddies started cannabis companies in California. And I remember uh, some of the leading ones today. And I remember uh, one particular cannabis company, and we're sitting uh, out, standing outside his house just horsing around. And he shows me this logo, and he says, I'm about to start this company. I'm like, oh, that's neat. That's a gorgeous logo. And that was, you know, that was all it was. It was this, it was this uh, company uh, that, that happened to uh, relate to cannabis. So... Uh, before you know what, I start getting these phone calls and, and folks are saying, hey, um, I know you guys are a corporate law firm, uh, but uh, there, there's, we're, we're about to take in our first real financing round. And, and my attorney uh, has been great, but really is a, is a criminal defense attorney and started doing contracts. But we really want a corporate law firm to, to do this larger financing round. Or we had, we're, we're, our, our company is about to blow up. We've got a partnership dispute and, and, and we really don't want to horse around here. We we need to, uh, to bring you guys in. So would you be willing to take this matter? And so I, I spoke to, you know, the firm was a, a bit bigger at this time. And I spoke to my partners. And I said, listen, are we going to go to jail because we're doing the legal work for the cannabis company? We said, probably not. So we said, probably not is good enough. So we're going to go ahead and do it. Uh, it wasn't quite that silly, but, but it, was, it was close. Uh, so uh, you can imagine we became pretty popular um, and, and very quietly, actually, because we weren't, uh, we still weren't thinking. Uh, this was, you know, 13 years ago and then 10 years ago, we still weren't thinking that, wow, this is really going to take over the planet like this. But before you know it, maybe five years later, uh, under God, we had this long list of, of leading cannabis companies. It was quite a list. It, it was probably even back then about 50 companies, which obviously is, is a tremendous amount. And we said, this might have been eight years ago now. And we said, uh, wow, this is, this is worth thinking about for a moment. Let's, let's stop and reflect and see what's going on here. Because literally, we hadn't gone after a single client. It was all referrals, uh, just based on doing the higher stakes stuff in the industry. And we realized, having thought about it, that it was actually had the potential to be bigger than the pharmaceutical industry. And, and our law firm under God represents the two Fortune 500 pharmaceutical companies. So that, that's, that's saying something. I, I do believe that this industry had the potential to be bigger than that. Because uh, it's comprised of so many different sub-industries. And one of those things is, is, is drugs and, and replacements for drugs. Um, but then there's, there's uh, r relaxing with a joint and, and there's hemp and uh, there, there, there you can make a home uh, from, from hemp and you can make ice cream too. So uh, there's just so much uh, that, that can be done with this plant. So we said, wow, this isn't just about smoking a joint. This is about improving people's lives. It's about uh, alleviating physiological conditions in a, in a better uh, and potentially more efficient way, uh, in, in a way that's furthermore accessible to the masses on a meaningful scale. And so we said, wow, we're all in. And, and at this point, I spent probably, it's, it's well over half my day on cannabis. Uh, it might even be two thirds. Uh, and, and I lead our cannabis practice as a managing partner of Zuba Lawler. So that says something. Uh, and at this point, yes, uh, uh, we do represent a, a large uh, portion of the, of the iconic industry at this point. That's so cool. And so um, a, a couple of things stick out from, from what you just said, Tom. Uh, one, the pharmaceutical industry. So I'd love to get, get back to that in a second because I think there are, are clear implications and you, know, you start to see the, the sharks circling and then maybe they go away when the, the market crumbles a little bit in 19 and, and during COVID. But uh, the conversations that I, I'm hearing are happening right now, it's, it certainly doesn't seem that way, right? It definitely seems like there's a lot of interest and that um, you know, the two markets are very comparable and, and certainly compatible in that way. Um, but let's get down to the type of law that you practice, the corporate law that you mentioned. Yeah. What types of engagements are you generally focused on? You mentioned a partnership dispute, you mentioned a financing. You know, what is it specifically that you guys find yourselves doing most? The most complicated matters. Uh, so so the, the, the corporate, uh, the finance, the M&A, uh, those sorts of things. Uh, we, we uh, to our knowledge, we were the pioneer or a pioneer of the two-stage M&A deal um, that allows you to continue cannabis operations in the context of acquisition of a cannabis license where there are restrictions on, on the transfer of ownership of such licenses. Um, so that's a neat trick in, in doing 79% plus now and, and 20 plus percent later. Uh, that was, uh, it, I don't know if we were the pioneer, uh, uh, but we were certainly one of them, if not the pioneer on that. Uh, and I give credit to Josh Lawler, who's the head of our, our, our M&A practice. Um, 
And uh, we also do a lot of intellectual property. So we're out in front on that as well. Uh, we, we've, uh, for instance, uh, we obtained the second ever issued in history, uh, United States plant pack for a cannabis strain. And we've done other cutting edge work, extraction processes, machinery uh, relating to cannabis. So we're, we're way out in front on that. Uh, we've also obtained federal trademark protection for cannabis brands, which is a neat trick. And it's, it's not for clothing or online educational services. It's, it's, for, it's for flour, it's for oils, it's for vape pens. Uh, and you say, wow, that's a neat trick. Uh, uh, and how do we do that? It, it's certainly more complicated than I can discuss here, but we actually have done this uh, a lot, uh, to be clear, uh, for brands that you know very well. It really involves a two-stage process. The first step is to say, okay, uh, Mr. And Mrs. Examiner at the United States Trademark Office, our clients sell cannabis. It's important to get that on the record um, because it's not just the, the goal to get a registration, but a registration that survives attack during a litigation, right? And, and so committing fraud on the PTO will come out eventually and it's, it's, you, you've got to be truthful at all times. So if we come out and we say our clients sell cannabis, THC cannabis to be clear, uh, but uh, really it's none of your business respectfully, Mr. and Mrs. Examiner, um, because we're carving out the short-term illegality of this subject matter. So long as prohibition is in place, uh, uh, that, that subject matter is not covered by our application. Uh, and, and so what it does is the language, so to speak, flexes, uh, so that when prohibition does end ostensibly, uh, that this subject matter will also be covered. So obviously that's a, a very simplified way of putting it. Uh, there's much more that goes into it, particularly with the FDA sticking their nose in there, um, but it's fortunate uh, for our IP practice that we've also got a, a cutting edge uh, FDA practice. So one of our attorneys actually obtained the first ever uh, United States history again, uh, a grass designation, meaning generally recognized a safe designation from the FDA for hemp seeds and fruits. Uh, so that, that's, that's quite a thrill. We're also doing cutting edge litigation. Uh, so patent litigation, trademark litigation, trade se there's a, a trade secret litigation in the space. Uh, and also uh, commercial litigation. Uh, again, partnership disputes, but also basic contract disputes. Uh, typically, if it's of an elevated sort or it's complicated by licenses or something like this, it's something that my firm really likes to get a hand on. And then there's an international component. So Zuber Lawler has four offices in the US. I sit in our Los Angeles office, um, but we have hundreds of attorneys internationally that work under our banner, Zuber Lawler Global. Uh, we do a lot of international work. Our attorneys work in languages covering 90% of the world's population and cannabis is increasingly a global conversation. And we've been focused on that uh, progression for some time and, and trying to stay as best we can under God out in front of that conversation. So uh, we have, we, we work with the best cannabis, cannabis attorneys in relevant sovereign jurisdictions around the world. And frankly, typically we have pretty strong friendships there. Uh, and also uh, it, it's getting awfully fun trying to move biomass from there to there uh, in the context of, of varying uh, restrictions on, on import-export uh, that vary per uh, sovereign jurisdiction. Uh, but we're, getting, we're getting awfully involved in that sort of stuff. You've got the FDA uh, equivalents, uh, it, the DMA in Europe, uh, COFA priests in Mexico, and so on and so forth. So we do all of that work and we coordinate that under our Zubalala global banner. Tom, it's talk a little bit about where, like the FDA, everything that's going on right now, um, litigation, during the pandemic, are, are you guys doing these things virtually? Is it, is it basically at a standstill, you know, uh, these normal hearings and, and court sessions or, or anything like that? Is that still happening right now? Well, the FDA, well, speaking uh, one, one uh, regulatory body at a time with the FDA, I, I don't know that the FDA knows what it's going to do, right? And, <laughs> and frankly, we're sort of agnostic. Um, we, it, to, to oversimplify things again, we really don't care what the FDA decides. We, we know generally it's going to land somewhere between here and here as far as the regulations that ultimately land. Uh, what we believe is important is to begin a dialogue uh, with the FDA, with your attorneys, with your, uh, your C-suite, uh, to talk about, okay, what are, with, with the people who are producing the product lines, uh, what, what do we want to have on the market in a year, in two years, understanding that for sure, the one thing we're absolutely certain of is that the FDA is going to regulate most everything in sight. So when you think about that, that's a huge statement. That's, that's a be-all, end-all statement for just about every business out there, if not every single business out there. That's CBD, but it's also THC, because at some point, THC, the, the THC, the, the prohibition ends, and at that point, the FDA dives in. The only reason the FDA isn't regulating THC today is because the DEA regulates it. It's a Schedule One substance. But once it's removed from Schedule One, which which I think may happen this year uh, in advance of the election, Ooh. I think we can go there if we want. Yeah, I think we may have to put yeah. a, put a pin on that. We'll we'll come back to that. But whether it happens this year or it happens three years from now, it's going to happen. And when it happens, the the the, the DEA is out, the FDA is in, and they're going to regulate THC as well. 
Last, we, we, we have precedent. And as a lawyer, I like to look to precedent to see what the future is going to look sure. like. Here in uh, California last July, uh, actually it was, wow, we're all, we're all getting old. It was, it was two Julys ago. 90% uh, uh, of the products, cannabis products, came off the shelves of licensed dispensaries. Why? The regulations landed uh, midnight, July June 30th of, of that year. Now that's that's a, a, a that's that's an incredible statistic. What makes it a bona fide phenomenon is that anybody who thought about it seriously the prior October knew that this was going to happen because the regulations were landing. So we're having conversations saying, listen, this is a huge opportunity because you want to be the one one of the ones that's not pulled off the shelves. And sure enough, that 10% that was left on the shelves, they were the, that was the happiest 10% in the store, uh, and they they grew their market share. Some of that 90% is still. Uh, even still today, not back on the shelves because they went out of business. Wow. Uh, that's going to happen again. It's going to happen again and again and again. But in regard to the FDA, it's going to happen on the national level. And if you think about that for a few moments, that's a certainty. That is a certainty. So then why isn't every cannabis company that has ambitions beyond the threshold, why aren't they hyper-focused on the FDA because it's a whole ballgame? There are a few things that are whole ballgame. IP is the whole ballgame. Uh, and, 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 and so on and so forth. Taxes are the whole ballgame. But this is one of the things that's the whole ballgame, the FDA. Uh, so, so from our standpoint, uh, again, we're sort of agnostic as to where the FDA comes out in terms of the details. We know generally where it's going to end up. Uh, and and I, think, I think most, you know, most folks who, who practice in this area, I, I think, would say the same in, in general. As far as the details, wherever they land, our goal is to get an early start, to start conversation with the, with the FDA early, to begin compliance early, aiming in that general direction, so that when the regulations do land, we're compliant. And you can, you can start, a, a lot of people get confused because you hear, okay, we can't get FDA approval for CBD isolate because it's been approved as a drug. That's called the, the IND preclusion for folks who don't know. Well, that is true, but you've also got a supplement category. You've got a foods category beneath that. You've got, you've got uh, topicals and other things that can be satisfied to some extent with a, a monograph. So uh, focusing first on supplements and, and foods, yes, it's true. Get, try, you cannot today get a CBD isolate through a supplement track or through a foods track, right? Um, but you can have a conversation, for instance, about hemp. And so that, that is, and hemp can include CBD. So really, it's, it's more complicated than that. And at the same time, it's simpler. And, and the simpler point is really just to focus on it and to, and to hire people that know what they're doing and to begin that conversation in earnest and to understand that once the FDA puts its hands on the wheel, the entire landscape is going to change dramatically as dramatically as it changed in California in July of 2018. And the companies that are prepared are going to have a massive benefit. It, to me, it's an investment in market share acquisition. As, as always, right? I mean, it's the same with companies that, you know, are, are going ahead and, and manufacturing under uh, GMP standards, right? Even though it's, yeah. you know, it's not everywhere, right? The, the, That's right. You have to think ahead. You got, you got to think um, of, of the, the next thing to pass, the next regulation coming down and, and try to be ahead of it. Um, Elliot, go ahead. I know you had a question there. No, I was just gonna. Oh, you, you answered my original question, but maybe the FDA is the biggest challenge. But and I wanted your thoughts on the biggest challenge getting in the way of uh, the cannabis industry further advancing, and you know that can lead into the little hint you gave us earlier about when prohibition is ending in your eyes. Yeah, well, there, there's there's so much subject matter here. What's the biggest challenge to the cannabis industry today? Uh, first, uh, of course, it's prohibition itself in the United States. When prohibition ends in the United States, the doors are going to come down throughout the world. Money is going to flow freer in regard to the plant throughout the world. Product is going to flow freer throughout the world once prohibition ends in the United States because the capital markets in the U.S. open up. So um, that that's really the biggest restriction. But of, of course, that that's a known. So so as far as what's next after prohibition, I'd say it's counterfeit product. Uh, it's, 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 and furthermore, I, I think even a, a slightly larger category, it's, it's illicit product, right? The, the, in, here in California, and, and again, uh, to, to be clear, we have offices in New York and, and, and Chicago as well, as well as Northern California, but speaking to, to the California perspective, because obviously there's, there's a lot of precedent here, 80%, it's estimated, of the market, the cannabis market is illicit. Think about that. 80% of the market, 20% is licensed. So that is, that is a big problem on so many levels. But it, to me, this is the problem uh, after prohibition itself. 
and the tax consequences and, and the enforcement consequences of prohibition. The, the, the reason is because it seems to me that the next step for the cannabis industry, the global cannabis industry to take, is to create a conversation of trust between the manufacturers of cannabis products and those users of cannabis who haven't yet tried cannabis, right? Like my mom in Blandon, Pennsylvania, and, and, and my cousins in, in Montana, and so on and so forth, and, and your cousins uh, perhaps in, 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 in Nebraska, right? Who are, who are those folks? And ultimately for the plant to achieve its potential to really alleviate the human condition throughout the world and to bring people closer together, we have to have a conversation of trust between the, the manufacturers of plant-based products and those people who have not yet tried those products, right? So how does that conversation of trust happen when you have vape kind of blowing up, uh, so to speak, uh, and, and, and that's all over the news. What gets put on the news is not illicit vape pen cannabis vape pen blows up and kills three, right? What gets put on the news is simply cannabis vape pen blows up and kills three. They leave out the illicit part. So then cannabis gets a bad name. And by the time you realize, oh, those were all illicit products. They were products off the illicit market. They didn't mm -hmm. meet the licensed cannabis industry. It's too late. The damage to the trust conversation is done. You have, you have illicit products that have pesticides in them, rat feces in them. Uh, and, 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 and furthermore, these, the producers of these products aren't paying their taxes. They're not paying to be compliant. And so they're able to undercut the licensed market. So uh, first so of all, to allow the licensed market to really thrive, you've got to eliminate that competition that's taking up 80% of the market today. Second, uh, you can't have a conversation of trust so long as 80% of the product out there is not interested in creating trust. And, and so to me, that is the single biggest problem after prohibition itself. Yeah. So Tom, to a quick follow up there. When it comes to what we've seen in Michigan since we went uh, recreationally legal, you know, there was a big push from the caregiver community here who were very upset with Mr. Brisbow, the, the, who, who's directing our, our licensing agency here, um, basically kicking those folks to the curb, you know, and saying, you know, there's there's either the licensed way or or the highway, you know, so. Okay. What do you think, um, do you think those folks who are operating in the illicit market, is there any data around, you know, them attempting to go through the licensing process and being rejected? Do you think it's just cheaper and it's a better business model for them, you know, operating illicitly? Um, I, don't, I don't know. I, I wonder if, if strict legislation and regulation is keeping folks out of the licensed market. And at the same time, I understand exactly why those regulations are are so strict. You know, one of my colleagues, uh, uh, Manny Medrano, is, is a former federal prosecutor, and we've had conversations about this, pretty intense conversations, actually. Uh, and he's, he's very involved in, in our cannabis practice, as is pretty much the entire firm. Um, so, so Manny's uh, somebody who's actually taken down the Mexican cartel. He's got sort of the strut that you'd expect with somebody who has those achievements. And, and he and I are both confused and, and pretty uh, frustrated with the fact that enforcement today uh, currently means enforcement against compliant companies, right? So I, I think the first thing, when, you, when you're talking about, okay, the, the, the cost and the challenge of becoming compliant is potentially keeping people in the illicit market because yeah. they, they don't know how they're gonna cross over. I think the first thing you have to do is to make it more expensive to run illicit operations, right? You have to enforce. So I'm not saying don't enforce against the licensed companies, don't enforce against the people that are trying to comply with the regulations, the state and municipal regulations. I'm saying also enforce against illicit markets. Manny is saying also enforce against illicit markets because how can, why would people want to cross over except yeah. for the fact that it's ethical and, and that it's, it's yeah. law abiding, but, but uh, you know, some folks just aren't, that's not sufficient uh, reason to, to get into the licensed market. So if that's not a sufficient reason, we've got to give them a sufficient reason. We have to make it more expensive to run illicit operations. And that begins with enforcement. So, so I, I would say that the problem actually, it, it, it seems odd, but I think that the solution to the problem that you mentioned is actually increasing the cost of running an illicit operation, starting by increased enforcement against illicit operations. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, you've got, uh, you know, Joe Sixpack with a uh, hundred plants in a garage somewhere who's used to helping his local community or friends or family or whatever. And he's not going to go and get a $500,000 license, right? Unless it costs him that much or more to run his illicit operation. So I completely understand that. We only have a minute or so left, Tom, and I want to get back to this question of legalization. 
Um, this is a hot topic and it always has been, right? I'm sorry, I'm going to do it. But, yeah. um, you know, I, I, I think it was last week or maybe the week before we had three different opinions. One that said it was happening this year, like you mentioned. Another that said, listen, five, maybe even 10 years from now, right? We're just not there yet. And another that said, um, it's not going to be this year, but shortly after the new election is, is what, what that person was anticipating. So give us, give us your 30-second pitch on, uh, on why this year. Sure. Uh, first of all, I really don't know. God knows. And, and I'm, I'm just guessing underneath that. Sure. Uh, but I, I would say my best guess is, is this. I, I think that it's, it's I, I agree with the, that it's probably the, the first or the third options or the ones you just mentioned. I, I don't think uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's, it's not going to take eight to 10 years. That would really confuse the heck out of me. Um, I, I think that it's, it's more likely to take place this year. If it doesn't happen this year, I regardless of what Joe Biden says, if he's elected, he'll end up doing it just, just as a function of pressure. Um, now, when I say doing it, uh, we're talking about either a descheduling or a rescheduling. A rescheduling could make things worse um, because that could throw things into the hands uh, of, of just a particularly small minority of, of the population, meaning pharmaceutical industries and so on and so forth. And uh, pharmaceutical in companies do have a place in things. Um, but I, I really appreciate the diversity of the artistry and the technolo technological innovation that sort of come up quite naturally in the cannabis industry as a function of prohibition. So prohibition has been a gift. Uh, in some respects, and I want to acknowledge that gift. Uh, we wouldn't be having this conversation if prohibition uh, wasn't here. I wouldn't have, uh, we wouldn't under God be this, uh, uh, have, have the clients that we're so grateful to have in the cannabis space if prohibition wasn't here. And my buddies didn't say, hey, I don't know anybody uh, that, that's a corporate lawyer, so to speak, that runs a corporate law firm that, that could do these deals for us and handle these, these, these litigations. Um, so prohibition has been a gift and I wanted to pay a nod to that. As far as why it might happen this year, um, I think because Trump is, is ultimately, he's a political animal. And, and I think that uh, whatever you say or don't say about Trump, and I absolutely don't want to get into a, a, a conversation about politics uh, uh, in terms of, of leanings uh, to the left or to the right or to the center, but speaking about politics as a subject matter as a whole, he is astute. Uh, and he does speak, he, he does have a talent for speaking to people's base instincts. Uh, and, and to me, it's a simple two-step analysis that I think he calculated long ago. Uh, the first step of the analysis is, will I lose a single solitary base voter if I deschedule cannabis uh, or, or reschedule it? And the answer is absolutely not. Of course not. In his own words, he could, he could on, uh, on, the, on the streets of Fifth Avenue, shoot somebody with a gun and his base wouldn't leave him. And that's probably true, or at least is something just south of that. I would imagine. Uh, and and th this, so the, the answer is no, he won't lose a base voter. And then I'm Trump. Uh, the second step of the analysis is, will I gain a material number of voters that I wouldn't have otherwise gained if I legalized cannabis, so to speak? Uh, and the answer to that is, of course he will. He'll, he'll, get, a, he'll get a massive jump in, in, in the polls. Uh, it might be 5% or 10%, who knows what it'll be, but it'll be material. So uh, based on that two-step analysis, I don't see how he doesn't do it. There you have it. Solid case for a pre-November legalization. And announcement. All right, Tom. Yeah. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, Tom, no kidding. Thank you so much, man. Thanks, uh, your insights are incredible, and we really appreciate you being here. Thank Thanks you so for much, coming on, man. Patrick, great fun. You, you too, well. man. All right. Tom friggin' Zuber. Legalization before November. That would be pretty cool. Yeah. I don't know, though. I don't know. A political animal, yes. But uh, I, I feel don't like know. our instincts are fighting against it, though. You know, yeah, I feel I like, know. like that can happen. Yeah, I would love it to. I would love it to. I think that there's a lot of there's a lot of big questions that would happen once oh, yeah. once something like that happens, right? Some of these MSOs have to rethink what they're doing. That's for sure. But um, yeah, it, it's going to be an interesting interesting state of the industry after that. Absolutely. Well, gearing up for our last but certainly not least guest, uh, Kieran Sidhu. CEO of Halo. Um, they are a global cannabis company with international production and distribution. Halo uh, aspires to be a leader in the U.S. cannabis extraction space, I'm, but there's so much more than that. Uh, I feel like that puts them in a pigeonhole that uh, they're not ashamed to be in by any means, but like no they way. are quite uh, a full rounded company, and I'm excited to talk to them. Uh, looks like he's joining us here. Kieran, how are you today, my friend? Can you hear us? You, you might, might be. There. 
There we go. Unmute. Hey, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. And if you have video, go ahead and start it. But your headshot looks awesome. Start my video. There we go. How are you doing, guys? Good, good. How are you, man? Look at that behind you. Uh, that's our uh, that's our six acres of canopy in southern Oregon where I'm sitting right now. Wow, that is beautiful. Year, we, uh, put in uh, eight thousand starts, um, and uh, <clears throat> it's the first uh, starts that Turpogs, the guys who did the Skittles um, strains, have done outside of California. We got DNA strains going, some of their more popular strains like their uh, Chocoloop and some other stuff, and then we have our strains going. Uh, and uh, we're throwing in some auto flower as well. So it's going to be, hopefully it'll be a great harvest um, this year. That's fantastic. Congratulations. I will that say, is... if you see some strange person hiking behind, you know, in that space today or tomorrow, don't call the authorities. It's me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's just beautiful, man. Yeah. Well, we had a little, we had a little funky weather. So we had some of the, um, some of the plants uh, <clears throat> take off. Uh, a little early started to do some early blooming so I you know I got a few of the clippings of the tops of some of the orange gelato and now my uh, bedroom smells a little bit like orange gelato that is awesome yeah that is awesome that's cool man, cool, man. Well, listen yeah. go ahead I was just gonna say let's start with you uh, Kieran you know we have a little bit about your background a former M&A banker uh, incredibly interesting and probably incredibly important, you know, as to your trajectory. And we'd love to hear about you and how you got into cannabis. And, uh, well, as well, yeah, the way I got into cannabis was really interesting. It was about six years ago. And there were two young, uh, let's call them black market or traditional market um, fellas who had gotten out of juvenile hall. And they had come up with this concept of using a coffee decaffeinating machine uh, made by a company called Eden Labs up in Seattle uh, that was being used to decaffeinate coffee to do CO2 extraction and uh, to actually put it in cartridges. And uh, I seeded that company and my two co-founders uh, of Halo, Andreas and uh, Philip, jumped in as well. Uh, and that was, I think that nutri or Nutritional High was the first company, ever, first U.S. company ever to go public. It's called Golden Leaf. It's still around. Um, it's a smaller company now. Um, but that was, uh, that's how we got into it. I seeded that and uh, Philip and Andreas jumped in and they put their own money in. And then we left Golden. Uh, it was just a philosophical difference on uh, extraction technology. They wanted to stick to CO2. We wanted to go to BHO, so we came down here to Southern Oregon, you know, which is the heart of Oregon's Emerald Triangle, and we, uh, you know, we started uh, open blasting in Andreas's chicken coop, and uh, when we saw the chickens start to get a little queasy, we knew it was time for us to run out of there, and uh, <laughs> then we took the catches from the bottom of the, you know, of the open blasting, and we took it up to Andreas's um, garage, put them in the you know, across international vacuum desiccanters, which they call ovens, and made shatter, and then put them in our partner Grady's car, and off to dispensaries it went. Wow. And yeah, that's how we started it. You heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. The chicken coop to the garage to Buddy's car. That is, that's the, the true process. That's the, I mean, that's the true process for sure. That is awesome. Now, rem remind us, um, Halo's public. The tickers are, are Halo on, I think it's Neo Exchange, Correct. right? And Correct. then A-G-E-E-F on Correct. OTC Markets, right? OTCQX. Yeah. Okay. Okay, cool. Thank you. So when it comes to, we hear this a lot, but I always think it's an interesting dialogue. You know, when it comes to what you do on a day-to-day -day basis, how much of it is running the operations of this company and how much of it is running the PubCo? Right. Is, uh, isn't it like half and half in terms of of two jobs, basically, for two different companies? Yeah, definitely. <clears throat> definitely. It's um, running the Pubco's half. And I would say running. I have really I have a really good sort of operator partner and Andreas met. And so he's he's the operations guy. So I would say I spend maybe 20 to 25 percent of my time there. Then I have a, I mean, a really tremendous president in Katie Field, and she's handling a lot of the M&A because um, there's a lot of M&A activity going on now in the space. I would imagine. And we have a lot of pressure from our investors to close our deals um, that we have on the table. 
And so she's managing that. And then I have a great um, partner, you know, co-founder and Philip Vandenberg, who was with me at Golden and then with us at Namaste during its heyday. Um, and, uh, you know, he's just, you know, he was a Goldman Sachs, uh, you know, institutional analyst of the year, managing director. And so he's been just really good on the finance side. So we have a really sort of tight, cohesive team, um, which allows me to spend time with guys like you. We like it. Yeah. yeah. Tell them we appreciate them for sure. Yeah. So, you know, in terms of, you know, you, you mentioned closing your deals, you know, uh, can you talk a little bit more about that? You know, the, the partnerships you have, the brands you've developed, uh, both domestically and internationally. Sure. Yeah, sure. So internationally, you know, I look at it as two businesses. I look at it as, um, you know, sort of what we call ourselves as a mini MSO. I mean, I think uh, eight capital calls us a tier three MSO where we're pretty much focused on Oregon and California. And we keep dibble dabbling in Nevada because we have licenses, but Nevada has been a tumultuous market um, with COVID especially. Yeah, no kidding. That was a surprise. Yeah. yeah I would imagine yeah, to uh, you guys too. Yeah, it was, it was. And, uh, and so that's one business and there we're trying to go more end to end or be more verticalized. Um, in Oregon, we're too large to verticalize into dispensaries, but in California, we're small now where we're, yeah, I think in the top 20, when you look at BDS in concentrates and oils and vape cartridges. So we have a chance to consolidate some dispensaries. Uh, in Nevada, you know, it's a question of we have cultivation licenses, we have an active production license, it's just a question of, you know, there are only 60 dispensaries, and most of them were knocked offline for the last three months, so it's a matter of where the business goes. But Oregon is just booming. I mean, Oregon, people don't realize it, but it's a third of the size of California. It's growing at 40%. Um, you know, you had, uh, you had a preeminent lawyer on, uh, you know, the founders Uber law before, and he talks about the black market in Oregon. We don't feel that black market, uh, as much, uh, or I don't, we don't feel it at all. Um, because our prices are such that it competes effectively with the black market because we don't have the onerous tax provisions of, uh, California and Nevada. And so, um, and also product is cleaned up in Oregon. So Oregon is operating as a very efficient and fast growing market. And it's, uh, it's something we're really spending a lot of time on now and looking at consolidation opportunities. I think, you know, depending on how you look at it, we're the third or second largest um, in the state. Uh, and, uh, you know, we have a chance to easily get to number one this year um, by working hard and maybe doing a couple of tuck in acquisitions. In uh, California, we're growing like a weed. Uh, you know, we're really focused um, on the, you know, on dispensary sales. Uh, we have a great partner in Nabis that's distributing our products. We've gone from two to six salespeople now, um, and we can't keep product in stock. And we have a little unique uh, process that we put together, which we call super filtration, where we're cleaning up tons of dirty oil. Um, that is not tons, but liters <laughs> of dirty oil that uh, that's in the system, uh, in the metric system, because California, you know, they still have a lot of dirty product where in, in Oregon, you don't have as much, nor in Nevada. And, uh, and we're, uh, you know, we're cranking on all cylinders. Uh, we tend to enter markets um, with cartridges um, that are more value priced. And then we start expanding. We're expanding into edibles. We're building our own kitchens. Uh, I think we're already top 10 in edibles in the state of Oregon. Uh, you know, so we're just, you're just fundamentally executing, uh, you know, and then as you talked about partnerships, you know, we have partnerships with Turpogs. We're in discussions with other very large California brands to bring them into Oregon, perhaps even into Nevada. Uh, you know, and really leveraging that, you know, California is really, you know, in many ways, the epicenter of the legal market, even though it has such a large traditional market, as Tom was saying before, um, it's still the epicenter of the legal market. And it's still, you know, three times the size of Oregon, you know, and larger than any other, I think, recreational market in the country. Sure, sure. Well, I, I know you guys had a recent announcement about some expansion that you're doing in both Oregon and California and some edibles. Uh, I believe it was chocolate and gummies. Is there anything you can tell us about that? Are those new lines or an expansion of an existing line? 
In Oregon, it's an expansion of an existing line, but our goal is to um, compete with the big boys, you know, to try to get up into that top five on BDS in Oregon. Mm-hmm. In California, our goal will be to dent the top 10 um, by the end of the year. And again, it's a value play. So, you know, we're making sure that, you know, our, uh, our products are vegan, they're gluten-free, they're, you know, taste good, uh, low, low, you know, low hypoglycemic, uh, and, uh, you know, popular flavor, but at a, at an aggressive price point, uh, to start. Um, then we've been really good with the elixirs as we call them, or the little THC shots, which have really taken off in Oregon. And again, we're trying to look at unique ways of, um, doing that, that don't involve sugar, um, that don't involve artificial sweeteners and don't involve glycerin. I personally like the glycerin because people say to me, you know, why do you like it? I said, well, I take my I take my uh, one one CBD, uh, you know, indica mix at nine at night, nine thirty at night. And the next morning at seven thirty, I'm up and I'm off the toilet within, you know, 15, 20 seconds. But, uh, <laughs> but I don't think uh, I don't. I think for some other people, it may be a little uncomfortable. Understood. So, you know, I'll have to try that. Yeah, listen, yeah. do what you yeah. got to do. That's yeah. awesome. So, so yeah, sorry, Ellie, go ahead. After you, sir. Okay. So um, one more thing, um, and I think we may have to call it, but I wanted to hear more about expansion internationally. I know that that seems to be a key focus for you guys. Um, and I'd love to just hear how you're weaving that into the overall story well, and it, strategy. It's definitely cultivation is a core competency of ours. And we see an opportunity, and I think DNA was the first one to actually do what Canopy did in Canada, which is license really good strains that will be attractive both on a medical basis and then eventually on a recreational basis. And so we're you know, getting that cultivation dialed in in Lesotho. We've had two harvests now. Um, the product is, is gorgeous. It, it's, it's just as good as the product we cultivate in Oregon right now. And, uh, you know, we're going to grow that business as that international market expands. I mean, the opportunity we really think right now, if you look at the world, is really the UK. It's coming from a really small base, but things are quickly liberalizing there. And we just have to now just, you know, as Katie, Katie, you know, Katie says, just put the nose to the grindstone. We're going to hopefully be closing our Buffalo acquisition in the next couple of weeks, week to two weeks. Uh, try to get our Canmart, our UK distributor acquisition done within the next four weeks and uh, and then start implementing, you know, a seed to sale strategy from Africa into Europe. Awesome. Awesome. That's uh, it's like the dream for a lot of these companies. Right. So it's it's really cool to hear you guys taking that those necessary next steps. So very cool. All right. Well, thanks for having me, guys. Kieran, it, it was a pleasure. Yeah. All right. All right. Have a good afternoon. Thanks, Kieran. Have a good one, man. All right. Bye. And there you have it. The first Cannabis Hour with Elliot Lane Esquire in the books. I hope I was a a reasonable substitute for Jason Rasnick. Um, Yep. 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 We'll dye my hair. next. Yeah. If you could do that immediately, that would be great. (laughs) When I think of the great brother duos televised, what, what do you think about You think about the Kennedys? Thinking about the Cuomos who are on TV all the time now. Yeah, they right? give each other a bunch of uh, trouble. <laughs> you yep. know, I will say yep. Andrew gives uh, uh, his brother trouble. But uh, yeah, I mean, we're obviously in line for next. We'll start our own TV station here at Benzinga. Done. The, the Lane Hour. BZTV, Lane Hour it is. BZTV. Think up, think up some jokes for, for Raznick next time he and I co-host. He needs all the help he can get. <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, well, thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. All right, you guys. Thanks. Tune in next Thursday. We'll do this again uh, with an exciting new lineup. We appreciate you being here. And as always, stay safe.
Home. They say it's where the heart is. They also say it's wherever you make it. They don't say it's where you unload your stuff, get tired halfway through unpacking, use some boxes as furniture, realize your oven mitts in a box that doubles as a nightstand, don't want to buy a new nightstand, and use a towel as an oven mitt instead. But no matter where you call home, GEICO makes it easy to bundle and save on renters and car insurance. Easier than grabbing a piping hot pan with a towel that's a bit too thin and trying to quickly get it to the counter. Ooh, hot, 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 hot. When your life depends on it, when everything is on the line, you've got to get real about addiction treatment. Only Karen offers 65 years of medical expertise in evidence-based treatment with real proven results. A recent independent study showed that 94% of Karen patients were still in recovery 90 days post-treatment. So if you're ready for something real, visit caron.org slash real today. Karen, real results, real care, real about recovery.